Welcome to the eighth episode of All of the Above, a weekly podcast where we pick apart the world. Our current run of episodes are inspired by the default applications that come with iOS devices. Each week, we pick a topic and look at it from the perspective of a full-stack designer, an instructional designer, and a software engineer. My name is Brian Brush, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam Bantner and Sean Duran. And this week, we are joined with a special guest and former co-worker, Connor Mason, the astute copywriter at Punchkick Mobile. So what's new this week, guys? Nothing, just uh, living the dream. That's usually the best way to live. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. This is, uh, I've been listening intently, and I'm, I'm happy to be a guest. Our, our audience may not know that uh, originally when we all started talking about podcasting, Connor was potentially going to be one of our uh, other hosts, but he's so busy being successful out in Chicagoland <laughs> that uh, we had to do it without him. And Sean, how are you doing? Uh, I believe I am doing fine. Buckeyes won uh, a game and then people liked it. And I think they tore down a goalpost. Yeah, at the stadium <laughs> that is our stadium that wasn't even where the game was played. <laughs> Mob mentality at its finest. There were also 69 fires last night, but that's... Where? OSU. How do you... Everywhere. I know, but like, where do you put the fire? Like, when you start it, where do you put it? Like, in a garbage can? Probably a car. Out in the open? Yeah, I've seen cars, and I've seen dumpsters, and the whole nine yards. I mean, I've seen pictures of it, but I've never seen it, like, happen. I've seen a couch on fire, but that makes sense. Couches, like, blow up in flames. They're a material. But cars are, like, they're steel and aluminum. And probably somebody else's. (laughs) (laughs) So I have no idea how we're going to transition out of that. But if anyone has listened to our previous episode, you know that this week we are talking about uh, ebooks. So that's one of the reasons that we brought Connor on is he's actually written two ebooks just in the past year alone. Uh, and he's incredibly intelligent when it comes to the digital and particularly the mobile world. So, Connor, do you want to uh, kick us off with uh, introducing your topic? Um, sure. Well, thank you for the introduction and saying that I'm intelligent. That's very nice <laughs> of you to say. Um, I think a good transition would be like, you know what else burns? Uh, books. But Oh, oh see, missed way, opportunity. Way one up I'm sorry. I wanted to jump <laughs> in. Bradbury but... is pissed. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited to, to be talking about this topic because ebooks are kind of important to me in that they are the evolution of, of books, of, of kind of the written medium, I think. And my, my title is, is copywriter with my company. So um, I'm kind of coming at this from two different perspectives. Uh, one is a writer, so I'm interested in being clear with information and having like an impactful tone. And also as a reader and, and reading a lot of books, reading ebooks, and being interested in just having the content be enjoyable and also having access to a wide range of content. So from my perspective, I like to think that ebooks are, are sort of like their spiritual namesake, which is email, right? So with email, it was like an analog for letter writing. You would just send simple messages between computers. And over time, it's evolved into this crazy complex thing with, with all these different layers and attachments and real-time stuff and automation. And so I think over time, ebooks right now, they, they seem like text on a page, but they're evolving too. And I think over time, the, the definition of what a book is or what an ebook is, is going to be very similar to what the definition of mail is now, um, in that it's completely digital and it's, it's taken on a life of its own. It, yeah. I mean, it's definitely its own world and it's grown in really uh, interesting and unique ways, as you were mentioning, that um, there's these like new layers and approaches and things that they're doing where first ebooks were literally just text that you found in the printed form translated over to zeros and ones that we could read on uh, whether it be like a Kindle or an iPad or something like that. 
So what are some of the things that you guys have seen within ebooks lately that you feel are new or unique or making them their own separate medium from the physical form? Compared to their actual, the analog, the physical count counterpart of ebooks is the fact that, I don't know if it's being implemented, but the fact that you can sort there's it could be like analytics within that. You can be like, oh, this guy, uh, John Schmo, got to page 205 and then he stopped. We don't know why, but he stopped there and then he continued on at page 300, read a couple of pages, and then he could, I know with um, some e-readers, you can share out passages and be like, oh, I can tweet this out or put it on Facebook and be like, oh, I like this quote. So the fact that there's a lot more interactivity that you can do with it, but I don't know how much is enhancing the experience of reading the material and then getting that in. And just like email, like Connor said, like a, it started off as just, I'm going to send a message to Sam. Hey Sam, how's it going? Here are pictures. Before there, you can even add attachments, you just wrote like, oh, my day at the beach is fine. But it's grown to like grow all these extra features. You can add attachments. Uh, you can add calendar invites, which is then sort of messing with things because that's also a calendar within my letters. And then also you, there's spam. There's physical spam where you just get stuff from credit card companies, but also in real life, in physical mail, but also in your digital mailbox. So that idea, if that if you put that in the ebook space, you can have like ebook spam. And within uh, a book, let's say you're reading something and there's an advertisement in the middle of it. It's like, hey, we noticed that you're you like these these and these books. While you're in between these chapters, you might want to check out Frozen, the comic book. I'm like, what the what the, what the hell, man? What the hell, man? So yeah, that's my that's my little take on it. So it's almost like marketing companies are taking over the world. <laughs> Big data has sort of consumed all of our lives, and that's the main w way in which like the internet is funded is just through advertising, which some people may argue is the worst way to have gone about it and has <laughs> potentially brought the growth of the internet to sort of a standstill, where now we're just stuck constantly trying to find ways to advertise instead of to actually innovate or take new approaches with the use of the internet, which could be the same with ebooks at this point, too. I know like even Kindle has, you have to pay additional just to not have an ad presented to you on the cover of the actual product itself. And so Connor, I saw that you put a note about uh, books equating to apps now. So did you have a thought relating to that? Yeah, I think as these ebooks evolve, like um, with iBooks, for example, uh, Apple's kind of ebook ecosystem, and they have iBook Author or iBooks Author, I think, which is a, a tool that's very much like their iWork apps that will let you build these really cool interactive ebooks. And it, it's proprietary to iBooks, so it only runs on iPads. And it was initially designed for, I think, textbooks. But you can inject things like videos and these interactive quizzes and snippets of code and all this different stuff. And then it runs alongside, like, you know, Charles Dickens, right? Which is insane to me that, like, the very same app handles just text in an EPUB format and then also these crazy whiz-bang interactive, you know, video-enabled experiences, which aren't really what anybody would consider books. They're more like apps. Um, but it's it's just conveying the information in different ways. And so a lot of, and I think this kind of gets to the instructional side of things that, that Brian will be able to speak to better than I will, but a lot of the, the classroom exercises or things like that that I think educators would use to digest a text or explore the text or whatever can be inserted directly into books now. And, and people have new ways to engage with the content and kind of access it or think about it in the way that makes sense for them, which is, I think, very exciting. And I think over time, these these books are going to move out of the iBooks app or the Kindle app or whatever, and publishing companies or, or whoever 
are going to start making apps that that convey the same information that books used to. Well, I was I was thinking with that the fact that you can put like HTML code in eBooks or with with iBooks author the fact that if you put like statistics in there if you had like a normal textbook they'd be outdated as soon as they get published like there's new statistics all the time and. I, how you're thinking like about apps. So why wouldn't like, again, this you, you don't have to have an actual, like a legitimate answer, but what would be the advantage of doing like a, an ebook sort of format, especially since you like, you made one a couple and, and formatted it and put the information in. What's the advantage over that rather than just like HTML and just having just a web page that sort of emulates or produces the same information that can be updated through like a content management system a little bit easier than a, an ebook publishing platform that it's i've seen the like the tools that i've seen it's more it's it's static it's not as dynamic as html is or injectable right i think i think that's a really good question because and actually like when we were writing these ebooks and and when i like started those projects that was a huge question. Like, why not just make a bunch of blog posts and just have them live as blog posts and people can find them on Google or, or whatever if they want that information? Um, I think a big part of it is that it's it's a shareable like file now, right? It's a it's a PDF or an EPUB or, or something that people can access and download and store with them and then also distribute and, and whatever. And so through certain distribution platforms like iBooks, you can update them over time and, and that's really nice. I think the main, main reason that I, I wanted to write an ebook versus like just a series of blog posts and the reason that that's the direction we went uh, as like my company is that it's we can control the experience a little bit more. Like we can design the pages and we can control the way the copy flows on the page. And, and you can do that certainly to an extent in, in a web browser. Of course you can. You can control the way that it looks and make it look great on every device. But this is like a, it's it's almost like an artifact. It's like a thing that you can pass around and enjoy and read and that, that still, I think, has some kind of weight. People still kind of want a, an object that they download rather than just a website that they access, if that makes sense. No, that, yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I mean, I have eBooks. I've downloaded it just because of that reason. I want to take it wherever I am rather than relying on an internet connection. But I know, have you guys ever seen a Snowfall? Like the New York Times? I don't even know what to call it. Story? You know what I'm talking about? The name of that sounds very familiar. Was that just within the past year? I think it was about a year and a half, two years, two to one years ago. Imagine like a magazine, a really long story that took a lot of time, but it's, it has lots of great photography and it's all on the web. And it's it feels like if you mashed an ebook up with a website and that sort of great layout, great typ typography, while also relying like a lot on imagery to sort of tell the story. And I think there are like even animations that sort of like add to it, but it is all accessible through web browser. So I was just thinking like if you could just have, I guess, a combination of the two, you, you would have the control of an ebook platform where it's easy from like a WYSIWYG standpoint, but have it easily accessible as an HTML version. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about, but both combined, <laughs> having the best of both worlds. I guess for me, like one of the major benefits and the reason why I would, if I was given a project like how Connor and his company had been debating which approach to take, one of the benefits with an ebook is that you don't have necessarily a reliance on access to the web. 
So you can still have that same book experience where if you're on the subway and you're underground and you've totally lost all access to a network, something that's a major problem in Chicago where Connor's at, you are still able to enjoy the act of reading and not be separated from the process. And while some of the HTML functions that you might have built into the ebook aren't going to work at that time, you can still use the rest of the book and still enjoy the rest of it. And it can still stand, at least a well-structured ebook could still stand on its own without having that HTML component functioning at that time. Yeah, unless Sam decides to create something where it has local HTML files within the ebook <laughs> publishing standard. Uh, I'll leave it up to him. Yeah, I mean, do you think that this standard's going to stay around since HTML can do this exact thing now? Because right now everyone is kind of switching over to EPUB. There's still a few proprietary formats out there, but EPUB is based off of HTML and CSS and XML, which is all what HTML5 is on the internet now. Oh, I did not know that. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty open format, but it seems like it's the evolution or de-evolution of this format is kind of like going back to the web. But it's going back to the web in a way which doesn't require access to a network. Yeah, it's all local. Correct. Not only that, but you can kind of charge for it and you can distribute it. And yeah. with a yeah. website, like with the Snowfall thing, I'm, I'm checking it out right now. It's, it's gorgeous. It's really cool, but it's free, right? Or it's ad supported. Yeah, unless there's a paywall or right. Yeah, something. in some cases that would that would be an, an obstacle. But with ebooks, like you you pay five dollars or ten dollars and and you get an object and you get something that you can enjoy on any of your devices or whatever. Um, and I think it is really blurring with the web. And at certain points, it's like I don't know if I'm looking at a website or or something that you know could be published as an ebook. But I, I think that's a big divider is like the EPUB can be controlled with DRM and, and companies can distribute those and publishers can control who purchases it and accesses it uh, versus the web where it's a lot more difficult to do that. And it's perhaps even to the point where the whole name ebook could just be a misnomer at this point since it has evolved into a completely different platform. Um, although that same argument was made when books with a lot of images were included in them shortly after the printing press had come around and you were able to use woodblocks and prints and stuff to add images to books. People started to question if that was still a book at that point. But it does seem like ebooks are no longer really just books at this point. They are an experience almost. And it's an experience that you can monetize, as Connor was pointing out. Um, whereas a web experience is something that without being incredibly annoying through heavy advertising or paywalls or those sorts of approaches, you can't really uh, distribute effectively. Yeah. Also, I, a couple other thoughts I had with ebooks, you'd have to have an ebook reader. So you'd have to have an app that could support this file type. So if I got an EPUB right now and I didn't have an app that could open that, I don't know what would happen. Could I read the contents of it? Or if I had like a PDF that most people have like that's a common standard that's like an mp3 if you give someone a music file you just expect it to be an mp3 unless you're an audiophile and you have like ogvorbis or flack <laughs> or whatever and then no one yeah you have like five thousand dollars i don't even preamp speakers for yeah it gets crazy when you get into the have you have you guys seen the anyway i'll, I'll put it it'll, mm. Don't worry about what I'm saying. But PDFs, like that's a, if I go to download something and it's, I don't even, I wouldn't even call it an ebook, but if I were to download something that's a multi-page thing that I shouldn't edit, if it should edit, most people call it like a Word document. 
even if it's not a Word document. But if I download something and like, hey, you shouldn't edit this, it's probably a PDF. And when it becomes like an ebook, it could be a, in a PDF format, but I might call it an ebook just because that's what it sort of, it's a long exposition of thoughts rather than uh, a PDF of an instruction manual for my refrigerator. I'd be like, why does it keep on beeping? Why <laughs> is the fact that like the light keeps blinking and I can't get ice out and my landlord doesn't want to replace it? Those are the questions that I want to ask. So that's my last thoughts. <laughs> It's one of those things where the name is being applied to so many varied platforms and it may again just be like that it's trying to communicate an experience or a concept at this point rather than an actual physical or digital like good that we have on our devices. But did anyone else have any uh, sort of final points on Connor's great opening topic? <laughs> nope, everyone good? Well then I am just going to, without segue, jump into my topic. And I wanted us to take a look at whether there's an advantage to either a physical or a digital book in regards to studying and memory recall. So there's been an ongoing debate as ebooks have entered the market as to whether or not the digital medium is more or less beneficial than reading in the analog world. And while research shows that we are equally as capable of learning from digital as we are from physical, there may be more effort involved in that learning process. So digital books don't allow us, for example, to map information to our minds for recall in the same way that a physical book does. And to sort of break this down a little bit further, a great writer named Alan Jacobs has classified this advantage of the physical medium with uh, two words, which are stability and three-dimensionality. So stability is our ability to know where passages are located in a book. So as you guys have uh, read physical books in the past, have you ever been like, hey, say it was for a, a college class, you're like, I remember this passage and it was towards the front part of the book, and it was one third of the way down a page. And I don't remember what the page number was, but I have a general like physical location, which I can go back to. So have you guys ever had that experience before? Yeah, that was like all of college for me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting excited, like if a teacher's like, turn to page 152, and I got it the first time, like you felt like a god. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> these guys are scrambling, like trying to get 150. They were like 170, 90, like, dude, get on my level. Like, I'm already there. Yeah. So like that ability to like know a location that is an actual physical place that you would go to is what Alan Jacobs would consider stability of a physical book. And that actually ties in very strongly with the way that we learn and memorize from the written word as that we actually treat it in the same way that we would if we were mapping landmarks while driving uh, in the countryside or if we were mapping out the rooms in a new house um, as we're learning where a, the bedroom is in a new apartment. That's the same as recalling where a passage is within a book. Um, so it ties into that physical mapping that takes place in our mind, which is something that you can't, at least thus far with our technology, duplicate within the digital approach which is why it actually takes in order for us to learn and recall the same amount of information from an ebook. It requires more time and more rereading of passages before it is solidified in our brains. Whereas somehow by physically knowing the location of something and being able to think back to that, that allows our mind to have better recall. And then the other point that Alan Jacobs uh, talks about is three-dimensionality, three which is a visual gauge of where you are in a book. So as we're reading a physical book, we're able to visually see our progress as well as feel the progression in a book through the shifting of weight from 
our right hand to our left hand as we make progress, which has a lot of benefits for motivation as we're reading and trying to learn something. It also, again, aids in that recall of where something was within a book and that physical experience um, aids us in being able to learn. So while we are able to read digital books and get the same learning experience, or not the same experience, but the same level of knowledge, it requires a more difficult experience to obtain that information. So I guess my question for you guys is, do you have a preference for one platform over another? And if so, um, why, especially when it comes to say something that you're reading because you want to learn a new topic? I always read physical books over everything else, especially when it comes to like technical documentation. It makes things a lot easier. I uh, write down a lot of notes. I write on the physical book a lot. And it just, I don't know, it's nice to have it there to just kind of flip through it instead of pulling out my iPad or my phone or going on my computer and pulling it up digitally and trying to share that with somebody. I don't know. It just seems a lot easier when I have the physical medium there. Mm -hmm. Which again may tie into those points that Alan Jacobs was making that there is with that stability and three-dimensionality it helps us with learning and even feeling more comfortable in the process of learning um sean or connor do you guys have any uh feelings or preferences towards one platform or the other i mean i personally i do like a physical book um and i think it's for the reasons that you mentioned of the three-dimensionality and, and understanding where in the book certain things lie because um, i know when i go back to ebooks and i'm trying to find a particular thing it is difficult to kind of remember where it is, but one advantage I think that eBooks have is that you can search or you can leave annotations for yourself that you can remove later. Because my number one pet peeve all through school was, you know, I was an English major, so I had these really cool like novels that I would be reading for class. And I would never want to highlight or write in the margins or anything like that because they're so pretty. I don't want to like ruin my books. What kind of novels? Oh, all sorts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> English lit. So a lot of Charles Dickens, you know. Um, and Samuel Beckett. I took like two classes on Samuel Beckett because apparently I'm a complete and total masochist. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah. There, there's enough Samuel Beckett to go around for two classes. Apparently, yes. Um, okay. <laughs> but at any rate, you know, I've got these really cool editions of, of Waiting for Godot or whatever, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to annotate those. With an ebook, you've got digital highlighters, and you've got you know comments that you can leave to yourself, which are all searchable and they're indexed in their own little section of the ebook app. And for that reason, nowadays, I really do prefer to use ebooks for things that I'm going to want to remember later. So a great example is like the John Syracuse OS 10 reviews. He does these really yes. comprehensive, mm -hmm. amazing, amazing reviews. And he's got web versions, which are free to access. And you can, I suppose you could annotate them with like an, a Chrome extension or whatever. But I always download the iBooks version and I go and highlight things I learned or terms I hadn't encountered before or whatever, just because I want to remember and I want to go back and like know where those things were. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of one foot on one side of the fence, one foot on the other, because I like the physical book and I see that point completely. But on the other side, I, I do like the advantages of the digital book. Yeah. And to that point, the MIT Technology Review was talking along the same points that Alan Jacobs had about stability and three-dimensionality, but they brought up a really good point in their article, which we'll have in our show notes, that states uh, perhaps our preferences thus far have been nature versus nurture, and the fact that we were raised reading from physical and being told that was the one of the best ways to learn, and being told 
you know, you reread and you write down notes about which passage stood out to you and those sorts of things. Whereas the generation that's coming up now is growing up in a world where digital is sort of an omnipresent option for them and one that they're often choosing themselves. And so it may be that we were nurtured into preferring the physical platform, whereas now that this generation coming up is growing up uh, in an environment surrounded by digital, they may actually have a preference for it and be able to learn more effectively than we've been able to from those digital approaches. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to bring up. <laughs> just the fact like w like what are these studies done mr alan jacobs did you include any children and the fact like how do they learn now because their brains are a little bit different how they're used to things and i am going to support alan jacobs his article that talks about stability and three-dimensionality is actually criticizing others who place too much emphasis on those and he actually uh, criticizes their studies and approaches, but he's still a fan of physical and feels that there, it probably is better than digital, but he doesn't agree with the way the research has been done and the fact that it often doesn't focus enough on children or appropriate research strategies. So your point there is very valid, Sean. Thank you. I love having valid points. <laughs> cool. Can I, can I go with my thing? Yeah, go for oh, it. Oh, all right. Guys, get ready, because I don't know what I'm going to be talking about. Uh, I guess the first thing might be libraries, how they exist. I don't know how many people go to them. I sometimes go to them. Uh, but have you guys ever tried getting like ebooks from the library? Yeah. I tried once through, I think it was the app called Overdrive or something to that effect. Yeah, Overdrive is bad. Yeah, it was not a very good experience at all. Yeah, I... I've tried so many times. I've gotten it to work a couple times. So <laughs> that's cool. But the fact that like you have to jump through lots of hoops to just get what I could get physically if I am in a library. But if I'm outside the library, it's it's just so hard. They don't make that a very easy barrier to break down. And they're trying, I know lots of libraries are trying to like rebrand themselves as like, we're just places where you get information. We're not just the book place. And they are doing sort of a, not the best job at, at that. And they, I know like um, at my job, I know, know they do lots of um, change management, which is a, a term <laughs> that I didn't know existed, but it, it, they're trying to also help like uh, retailers, like brick and mortar stores become like omni-channel people, which means just like if you go to their website or their physical store, it doesn't, it's the same experience. It's not like they have different inventories or different ways to go about doing things. And I feel like libraries should, are trying to do that. But if you've ever used Overdrive, which I, I can't stress enough, it's not easy. Like, I, I feel like I'm technically proficient enough, and I even had trouble, and I had to go to the librarian and be like, how do I get a book on my phone? <laughs> Please. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It, it's just a mess. I don't know. The, the rebranding of libraries is definitely a weird moment. And an old friend of mine from high school who just got her master's in library sciences and is very devoted to the library, um, she's always doing what appears to be a lot of great work, but it is still focused very much around books as a physical platform. And sometimes I wonder if like libraries should abandon this attempt to modernize themselves because the like romantic nature of going to the library and digging through all of the books and picking one to take with you and knowing that a week or two later you'll return and get a new one, um, that that experience, for me at least, is far more important than being able to go and get like the latest ebook or 
uh, get six copies of some CD to copy and illegally hold on to. Um, so I just, I, sometimes I wonder if they've, in an attempt to modernize themselves, have lost what made libraries so great at their core. I think, you know, the future of libraries is somewhere between um, maybe these like uh, ebook subscription services that, you know, you it's kind of like a Netflix for, for books in that you get a certain book and you can, uh, or I, I suppose you kind of pay and you have access to several books. So it's somewhere between that like ebook subscription service model and then also Project Gutenberg where you can just kind of go on the internet and yeah. download whatever you want for free. Because the, the library lives in between those in that it's free access to the world's information and then also it's with limits. Like you can you can get it for a week, but then you have to give it back so that everybody else can enjoy. So the subscription model maybe doesn't quite correlate one to one, but uh, the word does at least subscription. <laughs> but well, it it doesn't make any sense because like if you have an ebook, you don't have to like hey return it or else no no one else can use it. No, you can have it forever, but then that doesn't make any sense for the publishers that make it. Why would we have libraries have like unlimited access to give away copies forever without any real consequence to not return it? But it's hard to return a digital file other than have it auto delete itself. Yeah, which like is part of the reason I was not a fan of the OverDrive experience was you can, I forget what the limit was, but it could, was only a few books that you could air quote check out at any time. And that just didn't make sense to me. It was like they were trying to force the analog sort of difficulties of a library onto the digital medium, which is stripping the digital approach of its major advantage. So nobody's really created a Spotify of eBooks yet. Yeah, Amazon has one. I forget what the title of it is. Does anybody know offhand? I think with Amazon Prime, you get a certain number of, or, or you get access to a certain library of ebooks, similar to how you get access to films and things like that. But I mean, this gets back to kind of the the challenge of the, every industry is running into every every content industry is like with digital information, people can just clone a file and it lives forever. You know, like you can. I can clone it and send it to Sean and then we both have a copy and one of us paid for it or maybe we got it from somebody else. This is as old as digital files are. This is the the problem that companies have been running into. And for music, it became like a DRM thing. And that's the way that we've been seeing it with eBooks, I think, so far is like Kindle and, and iBooks and whoever. There's a DRM associated with the book. It can only be downloaded once or to certain devices or certain apps. Um, and I, I don't know if that's the I guess that's open to your guys's opinion if if that's the right way to do it or if that's the best possible scenario. I know with um actual books you have like you can lend a book to someone and it would have some kind of like meaning like hey I like this book and I think you would like it so I'm gonna actually give you physically this book to you to read because I think you like it you would like it so much that I'm not even gonna have it for that time period and that's sort of like it was sort of a significant thing while if you're like hey just send me a copy of that um John Syracuse ebook that'd be cool or then that really doesn't mean anything to me the Barnes and Noble nook from a long, long time ago. I used to work at a Barnes and Noble, and uh, I was I was the nook guy. I was the nook salesman, and uh, it's actually a pretty fun job. But um, they they had a feature where you could like if you had two nook owners, so say like you know two friends both have a nook device, the the little ebook e reading tablet, and one of them purchased a book and read it. You could lend the book to a friend who also had a nook. It would appear on their nook, and it would disappear from your nook. 
So it was, yeah, it was like a digital version of that same lending process. But I always thought it was so goofy because like, I don't know, like why, why does it have to delete now that I've sent it to somebody else? Like it's just, it was, again, they were kind of like shoehorning that, that analog experience into the, the ebook world. Um, yeah. I love, I like that word shoehorn. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. Yeah. Like it doesn't really fit, but they're really trying to do it. It was, it was kind of cute, you know? And like when, when you would tell people about it, they'd be like, oh, that's, that's adorable. I could lend it to my friends still. But from a technical perspective, it's like, why does that have to happen? Like that's, that's really strange. Yeah. I don't think these companies have quite figured out in the digital space, how to kind of bridge the gap between analog and digital when it comes to sharing. Uh, actually when Xbox came out and they said that they were going to DRM every single game that came on the console and how sharing would work. And it was just crazy complex process. It was just, I don't know. It was just way over that way too engineered. And then PlayStation came out with the funniest commercial I think I've seen in a long time where they went through their sharing process, which was what a 22 second video of them just trading games back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's something that this is, I don't know, in the digital space, I think companies need to kind of really think about like how this whole sharing process would work because this kind of does deter a lot of people away from buying digital product. The sharing of the digital goods has been based on sort of a, like a skeuomorphic approach where it is trying to apply the analog process of sharing or lending a book to somebody else to digital, which I think is uh, just heading down the totally wrong direction and they should really look at what are the advantages and benefits of digital and then just focus purely on those and move from there instead of trying to think about how it was in the, the physical world. But Sam, since you had started talking about the challenges of businesses as they're moving forward through various things, I know that you and your company have been working on translating physical sort of magazines and things like that into a digital platform. So did you want to hop into your topic relating to that? Yeah. So uh, right now our company is focusing on taking a really old magazine brand and kind of converting it into the digital space. And there's many ways to go about it, whether it be just a straight PDF or some sort of EPUB, something that kind of works on everything. From that point, that's easy to get everything over that way. But should that magazine or whatever it is that we put up there be enhanced or interactive, or should it just stay the same? What is it that people are really looking for? It's really tough to tell. I work mostly in the kids space. When you get into these enhanced features, you gain a lot of things. Like you get your personalization, you can kind of get depth and explanation of what's going on. Everything is very easily adapted, but you lose uh, you lose a lot, or there are a few things, not a lot. You lose, uh, or you whoever's reading it ha- is distracted by whatever's going on, so they're not as focused on the actual material as they are maybe the interactive part of it. In studies, people of mostly children have been able to recall fewer details of what's actually written and more of like interactively what's going on. And uh, in the children's space, which is very important, is co-reading. This is not very effective in co-reading because a kid wants their own personal device to interact interact with it themselves. So how does one in this space go about taking an analog print product and putting it in the ebook space? With that, you were sort of talking about 
uh, co-reading and things like that, where it's a shared experience. And often I, th- I think this is what you're referencing, where say a parent is helping them um, read something and the child still wants to have their own copy there, which in the world of digital readers can become a very costly expense versus physical, which may only cost a few dollars to get a duplicate copy of a magazine or a book. So what are some of the ways that you have seen people try to tackle that challenge? There's a lot of really creative, really weird ways of people doing this. Uh, Actually, we just went through a product review of some sort of Skype thing where uh, it's mostly for parents who are abroad or who are not around their children, but it's a Skype app where they'll interactively just go through a book or read a book or read a good night story to their child who is Skyping back and forth and they see what's going on. And there's a little bit of interactivity going back and forth. Which is great, but it's just, it's different because how much of the child is paying attention to the parent reading or the co-reading happening and are they paying more attention to what's going on with the interactivity? It's uh, it's really hard and most of the studies done have, have shown that they're paying more attention to like what actually is going on and less to actual the, the actual reading of the book. And all of this information I'm getting, there's actually a really cool company out there, Play Collective. They, uh, they study children. They put really cool products in front of them and and they just see how kids interact with them so this is it's not all just off the top of my head it's actually a company that we work with so it's it's pretty uh it's pretty cool stuff it's definitely a very unique challenge um and the fact that you guys are also having to consider so many different devices and create a universal approach for those or find a way to, without exhausting all of your resources, develop separately for each one of those devices is a challenge I like can't imagine the project management on. Sean, it sounded like you maybe had an idea. So going off of uh, like what Sam said, like, yeah, or Sam and Brian, you were saying like there's so many platforms and you have to develop and make sure it, it, it works right in all these devices. I know they're, I don't, it probably doesn't work in Sam's case because they're trying to do more interactive material. But I know a ebook creation tool that is pretty simple. It's called like Liberio, leave I'm pronouncing that right. And you can just, if you have a Google Drive document, you can just press like one button and then it makes it an EPUB and e like all the formats that you need to be ready to submit it into any kind of store or whatnot. And also, I think it works with Dropbox, OneDrive, and Kit- GitHub if you're so geekily inclined. Um, but just trying to make it as easy as possible for the people that actually make this stuff to just, they just focus on that and have it then become tailored to the medium afterwards because it just seems like such a headache to go and try and develop, I I don't want to say content because I hate that word because it it devalues what exists. It's, it's, yeah, it just, it it puts it into a chunk. Like good content could be (laughs) anywhere from music to video to written word. It, It doesn't really get the essence of what's being made but just trying to get rid of the overhead involved in creating stuff i feel like that's that's the first step because there's so many formats so many different kind of devices just getting away as much of that clutter to make it simpler to get the ideas and concepts behind that out into the world i think that's something that should be happening Connor, when you were working on the ebooks that you've recently published, did you run into moments where you had to compromise something that you would have preferred to have had in the book just because you were concerned about how it would show up on various platforms? 
Yes and no. So the length of the the books was a, a big concern because you know we're dealing with file types that the more pages you have, the larger they're going to be, and we want you know we're we're a mobile marketing agency, so we wanted people to be able to pass this around a little bit and talk about the content quote 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 that we were generating. So that that was a that was a concern just from like a, a technical perspective. But so so the the ebook that I wrote the first one was was very heavy on direct quotes from our team of developers because it was about iOS 8 and all of the developer features and we had a number of these like block quotes that were called out that when we were drafting it when when we had like drafts and things like that it looked really really good and they they flowed organically with the copy but then once it was moved over to the design that we we had been working on it started to look strange so we had to adjust because we would have things like you know a big block quote and then a small paragraph and then a big block quote again and it just it looked absolutely awful so we had to adjust some of the content to make it look better on on a pdf format um, because that's what we ended up going with if if we had done something like an epub it would look very different so i mean i'm looking at the website for this liberio right now and this would have i think simplified things not that we would have ever used i mean this this looks like it doesn't really have much um design uh, considerations you know it, it doesn't look like it's that customizable but for a dead simple like you take it from a, a text document and just publish to epub like this is a really neat tool and it I, I think would eliminate some of the concerns about you know i don't know getting it from from text to publishable if that makes sense Mm -hmm. Which makes me sort of think to Sam with the challenge that you guys are having as you're working on these applications and transferring these physical to digital. Are you guys uh, focusing on like one approach like uh, design, which was a challenge that Connor ran into with moving things from one format to another? Or are you focusing more on just like, is it legible at all within the app? The one thing that we're worried about and the reason why this has been such a long process is because we want the content to be just as engaging as it is in the f in the physical form because the content we make, it's made to be drawn on, it's made to be interactive with. Uh, so when we move to the digital space, things are going to change. And if we go to just a flat PDF, EPUB type model with not a lot of interactivity or even no interactivity, we don't know if it's even worth the push to this market yeah because at that point it stops being a question of just transferring it from one format to another and more translating it from one format to another so like if it is an image that's supposed to be colored in and drawn on is that going to work the same way on a tablet device or do you want to focus on creating a whole new approach that gives the same feeling or learning experience that the original physical good offered. Yeah. And it's pretty much just, should we jump into the app space with this? Should we even worry about making this digital or filling this digital gap with our print product? Or should we kind of just make a completely other interactive product that kind of ties into what we have? Have you guys ever read about or heard about the innovator's dilemma? Yes. I'm just uh, like every like that whole idea of um, going from like a technology that people embrace and they use and then just um, not in they could be innovations, but they're just sustaining technological advancements. And there's like S curves. Um, there is show notes will be they'll, they'll be plentiful. This one. <laughs> 
And uh, oh yeah, if you want to see them, I just want to throw out it there. I know it's close to the end, but if you go to all of the above audio slash episodes slash zero zero eight, there will be so many links that it will sort of probably be overwhelming. But pretty much every reference to everything that we said, even things that you didn't think were references to anything, um, <laughs> there will be links to it. <laughs> Anyway, back to the, uh, so just that the whole like what what is just actually keeping things afloat and what is maybe not going for the same target like odd market and audience, but something that's going for a different segment that will eventually maybe in like, I don't know, five years become mainstream where companies now are like, oh, we didn't go after them because that's not the market that we're like looking for. And now they've caught up to us at this point, five years from now, and we're screwed because we haven't invested enough in this different kind of technology rather than the sustaining one this dis so this disrupting one is sort of taking over so i i don't know what that would be in terms of ebooks interactive things i but I, I, it's a think good thing to think about maybe or just trying to figure out what that is i kind of have something on that i think with ebooks the the markets or i guess the the product really is just conveying information um yeah. and you know, books are, are great at that and ebooks are an extension of that in the digital space. But kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with, with you know, interactive stuff and inserting videos and all the new stuff you can do with, with ebooks, I think I think that's kind of the disruptor. And and the disruptor here is that, you know, app development and new ways to convey information have emerged as technology expanded. And I think now that it's kind of infiltrating books in a way and it's it's becoming one big thing and it's just kind of an experience to get information, that's, I think, kind of disruptive of books. You know what I mean? That that there are new ways to convey information that might be more engaging or memorable or impactful than text on a page. And those things maybe never looked like books before, but they're starting to kind of come together uh, into something totally new and different. Yeah, because I know if I don't know how well it correlates, but with the music industry, pretty much anyone can become their own band. They don't have to go through like publishers or like A and R people trying to recruit recruit talent, and they can sort of do their own thing. With words, it's if you're just trying to convey ideas, there's so many free websites that if you want to get information out there, you can. And like with mp3s uh like the music industry sort of try try to hold on to that idea of physical like cd sales for so long that like the itunes sort of uh, sort of screwed them <laughs> in such a way and now streaming services are now you know doing their thing i, I, I think like like borders sort of shuttered in it's just i don't know like lots of industries have learned their lesson from like the whole music industry and they don't want to become the next music industry and I don't know what else I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, well, at this point, we may very well have just taxed all of our mental capacities. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So before um, I sort of take us out of the show this time, because I think we have tackled ebooks in a way that is so far deeper than I think anyone else has ever done it. And I'm really proud of us. But, um, but before we head out of the uh, show, I know we've mentioned uh, Connor's eBooks and his company a couple of times, but Connor, did you want to sort of jump in and give us a quick explanation of what those are? Yeah. Cause they're really like, they're good. Like they're not, yeah. they're not <laughs> they're bad. Great. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Um, I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad you downloaded them. Yeah. My, my company is in Chicago. Uh, it's called punch kick interactive. 
and we're a, a mobile marketing shop that specializes in mobile products from websites to native apps. And the, the focus is to use new technology to help companies do things that are actually fun and engaging for their customers, you know, kind of deliver something cool and, and new versus what everybody's already tried before. So it's it's kind of, you know, my dream job. It's it's a lot of fun. I get to write about technology all day and think up cool ways to do things with it. And so the the ebooks that we were talking about, the first one is about iOS 8 and it has to do with all of the developer features that came out cuz iOS 8 doesn't have really any flashy new features, but it does have a ton of stuff under the hood that in many ways is going to be more impactful. And that thing is a monster. Yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like 126 pages or something like that. It's it took yeah. a really long time and lots of images. Like it's not it's a pretty one to look at. Hey, thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we have we have designers who did amazing work. And then the, the second one just came out recently, and it's it's a lot shorter, and and it's supposed to be more targeted. Um, and it's about CarPlay as it relates to automakers. So CarPlay is Apple's new in-car experience for iOS, and kind of examines what that looks like. And it's the first of kind of a series of little ebooks that will deal with individual topics like that. So yeah, I, I love uh, ebooks and writing really, really long, crazy things. So I was really happy I could talk about this topic. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. And to that point, if uh, anyone would like to keep up with Connor and uh, his great work over at Punchkick Interactive, he can be found on Twitter at uh, ConMass. Is that how you would pronounce your Twitter handle? Um, I guess. It's like ConMase. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> C-O-N-M-A-S uh, to help everyone find him. Um, and then if you also look up uh, the Friday Five out there on the internet, you can actually see uh, Connor's handsome mug uh, talk <laughs> about technology every Friday. And hand gestures. Yeah, lots yep, of hand gestures. Hand gestures. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, I liked how you said Twitter handle. It was like every R was an L. <laughs> Twiddle handle. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. And so did anyone have any uh, final points that they wanted to make before we wrap everything up? Yeah, everyone needs to look up the Dewey Decimal System because I'm sure half the people listening to this doesn't don't know what that is. Sam, every at the end of every episode, you just make me feel like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the eighth episode of All of the Above. To continue the conversation and to give us feedback, go to alloftheabove.audio slash contact for all the ways that you can reach out. The simplest way, though, is through Twitter at Above Podcast. While we're at it, Connor Mason can be found again on Twitter at C-O-N-M-A-S for the latest tech news, insights, and all things mobile. For more information and links to what we talked about, and to see this episode's crazy Pinterest page, the show notes are at alloftheabove.audio slash episodes slash 008. More importantly, thank you guys for listening. We've just passed uh, sort of a milestone for us in a number of subscribers, and we're working on some really cool stuff as well as having some more great guests, much like Connor was. So head over to iTunes to subscribe so that each new episode is delivered directly to you, no waiting involved. And if you like it, the greatest thing you can do for us is to rate the show on iTunes. We wouldn't say it if we didn't mean it. Also, join us next week when we have another guest on the show, John Saddington. John is the one-man show behind the distraction-free writing app Desk, and it was actually handpicked by Apple as one of the best apps of 2014, and it really is a fantastic app. Uh, so that's why next week's topic, writing, is perfect. We'll see you then.
Yay. 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 We hit our longest show ever. Oh my god. 